There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. We've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, I was joined by Tim Kelly. Tim is the Chair of Entrepreneurship at Grand Canyon University, also known as GCU, Chairman and Founding Member of Canyon Angels, an angel investing network linked to GCU, as well as the Chairman of the Board for Habitat for Humanity of Central Arizona. We had an awesome conversation that covered the unprecedented growth of GCU over the past several years, to how GCU and Habitat for Humanity were able to work together to help strengthen the community around the campus, to the plans for taking that successful model to the warehouse district in South Phoenix, and finally, a little bit about entrepreneurship. You can find out more about Tim and what he's working on at habitatcaz.org, gcu.edu, as well as some other spots listed in the show notes, and I definitely encourage you to check it out. It also seems that my favorite word for this week's show was awesome. So sorry in advance about that. Thanks as always for listening. Tell a friend. Also feel free to share us on social media. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Joining us momentarily will be Centauri Minor and helping us move from awareness to action today is Tim Kelly. Welcome, Tim. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, George. Thank you. We are here on the campus of Grand Canyon University, and there's been a lot of incredible stuff happening um, for as long as Grand Canyon has been here, but particularly over the past four or five years. Truly an amazing, really seven, eight years. Uh, just a growth curve like no other university, probably, well, certainly in the United States and probably in the history of universities worldwide. Really? Extraordinary growth. Nice. Absolutely. Okay. And what to, to what do you attribute that? Well, I think primarily what we've been able to do here is provide an alternative in education that really didn't exist before. We are a, I say, conscious capitalism, mission-driven enterprise, and to offer a private Christian education in this metropolitan area really wasn't available. Even though the school had been here since 1949, there, there really was never more than two or 3,000 students on this campus. Now, since the leadership of Brian Mueller, the expansion... They were able to raise $250 million to reinvest back into this community. And by doing so, building an online platform that feeds the infrastructure of a community experience on campus, really unlike any other combination. If you look at a business model for universities, this is very unique. You have many traditional universities that, that have ground students, and that's the experience. And you have this new phenomenon, it's not necessarily new, it's been going on for two and a half decades, but online education. The reality is, is that the profitability, so to speak, of online education is much higher. Yet, those online students don't want to be just isolated in some ethosphere. They want to have a community connection. They want to be part of saying, that's my basketball team, that's my campus, this is where I go to pray in chapel, or whatever the case might be. And... What we've been able to build here with now 20,000 students on our campus, with 12,000 kids living here, with a Division I sports facility. Uh, we took lacrosse, NCAA national championships last year. Dan Marley is a basketball coach. Jerry Colangelo is the head of our College of Business. Really, people can look at it and say, 
I'm proud to be a part of GCU. Our outreach into the community is really unlike any other university in recent decades. And we've had groups like Marquette. They've come here to campus and they've said, you know, what we did when our neighborhood got challenging, we built walls. Hmm. That was what they said. Here, we said, you know what? Yeah, there's been crime in our neighborhood. We recognize that. And, and we take precautions here and we have a robust police force and our own gates and security guards and things like that. But more importantly, we've reached out into the community, built alliances with the schools around us to tutor the kids in those schools for free. They can come on campus six days a week till nine at night to get free tutoring. We offer them scholarships so that they can come to school here for free. We offer their parents jobs to work here. And when their parents do work here, every student that's a child of, a, of an employee goes to school for free. That plus the Habitat for Humanity outreach rebuilding 700 homes in this neighborhood is unparalleled. Well, we have a lot to talk about and, 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 <laughs> and, and unpack all the success that you've had. Would, would you say that, I, I, I don't want to say that there was a blank canvas and the, the folks that were the leaders of the university looked into the future and had the vision to say, we can design this thing and make it special, almost like a master plan community instead of like a school like Marquette who already had a lot of this stuff in place and then they weren't as nimble and, 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 and able to, to be as visionary? Perhaps. I mean, schools have a lot of tradition. They have tenure and uh, they, they don't call it the ivory tower for no reason. Mm -hmm. right? I think there's an entrepreneurial spirit here at GCU that, that is unlike other traditional institutions. We're not afraid to recognize our particular tax status. And it's a way in which we can make ourselves more lean, more efficient, recognize that we haven't raised tuition in nine years. Our students are paying the same tuition they did years ago. Just like all the other schools. Hmm. That, yeah. that, that's not true. <laughs> How many of us have kids that, that are accumulating debt? You know, It's an unbelievable, I'll say, tragedy in society. That uh, debt. I think that is a tragedy. Yeah. And I think part of the mission here is to combat that and see if we can offer an affordable alternative. And you reference the tax status. What is different about GCU? GCU is a for-profit structure. That $250 million that they raised was from investors that took a risk and said, "How? okay, we think there's an opportunity there. There's a way in which we can serve an unserved community. And Brian Mueller was the man to make that happen. So Brian Mueller came over from the University of Phoenix, which is a prolific online university, and had the opportunity with Grand Canyon University, a brick-and-mortar university, to have the funding to be able to fund the growth and the awesome programs that we see here today. Right. And the amazing thing about that story is that, so we're not spilling out dividends and all these things, and I, don't, I can't speak to all of those corporate strategy things. I'm just a lowly professor here. But the reality is, is that we've invested over a billion dollars into this neighborhood, into this campus over here on 35th Avenue in Camelback that... You know, not too many years ago was more of a hub for prostitution than just about anything else, if you ask any reputation, right? Mm -hmm. The reality now is that that's been almost eradicated. What you have here is a, a much safer neighborhood. Crime is down 30%. You have real estate values up 
you see the, the beautification of the neighborhood occurring, not by displacing the people that are living here in the neighborhood, but by working with them, by having student volunteers work with Habitat to go across the street, knock on the door and say, hey, we can help. The, and, and the way the deal works with Habitat, if we can go into that now, yeah, is that essentially GCU, through multiple contribution mechanisms that we can get into, covers two-thirds of the cost of the reconstruction of a particular home. So a homeowner will be approached by a Habitat representative in conjunction with GCU, part of the teams, and they'll say, we noticed your home might need a, a new fence or a new roof or a new paint job or new windows or whatever the case might be. And we say, would you be interested in, in looking at what those services might mean for you? And would and you, all you would have to pay for is one third of it. And so that's, that's pretty much the deal. Habitat consistently is a hand up, not a hand out. And that's the way the, the program rolls out through the neighborhood. Once one sees how it works, and you see Brian Mueller out there and Stan Meyer and our whole business college, plus hundreds of students in purple shirts working side by side, shoveling gravel and tearing out fence posts and painting walls. It helps to build the camaraderie in the neighborhood. Yeah. And a reasonable one-third contribution to those improvements in a home, often you find that the energy savings alone on these upgrades more than pay for. Just in, in round numbers, I don't know if you could tell me on average what that one-third oftentimes has been. So the averages are between 9000 and 12000 on a per-project basis in each individual home. That's the total cost. Of that, the third, so $3,000 to $4,000 is typically what's paid by the average um, participating homeowner in this community. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now um, we're looking... If I could say what we're looking at downtown because we think this program we call it neighborhood revitalization in habitat if if you don't mind give us sort of the thumbnail sketch of the impact you've had how many homes you've done here right you've already told me a little bit about that but so there's been so far 140 something homes done uh, the program's been alive for just two now almost two and a half years uh, since its rollout uh, the annual contributions now from it started off seeded by Grand Canyon University for a donation of several hundred thousand I don't remember the exact amount that got the ball rolling so to speak then through a, a Arizona tax credit structure so our government put into place years ago the ability for individuals to redirect some percentage of their state tax dollars in the case of Habitat it's up to eight hundred dollars per married couple of your state tax dollar, your income tax, you can redirect to a particular charity. Habitat is the chosen charity that GCU offers to its employees on their onboarding. So when you become an employee at GCU, you're given the choice. You can, you can pick a school. There's various affiliated schools as well. <clears throat> you can pick both. You can pick all. You can pick writing your own if you've got a school that you want to support or another charity or who knows what. But at least that piece of it is automated. So that every new employee in our participation rate, and I don't have the exact numbers, but it's well over half of all of our employees are participating in these contributions to Habitat for Humanity. That now provides four hundred to $500,000 a year to rebuild the neighborhood. Wow. And that's every single year. <clears throat> and do you think that 
you're being so successful with that because of the nature of what Habitat for Humanity does? Do you think that it's building the com- com- camaraderie? I know from my experience with Habitat Builds, you get everybody out there and maybe it's folks that are have a contracting background, maybe it's folks that have never swung a hammer, but there's something for everybody to do and you're building community and team. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think Habitat, what it's built over the decades and and it wasn't founded by Jimmy Carter, although it was founded in Atlanta, which is where international headquarters are. There's over 1,400 affiliates across the United States. They are in more than 40 countries around the world. 1,400 Habitat affiliates. Wow. Absolutely. So the one here in central Arizona, we're in fact consistently the number one affiliate in the country. We have a robust balance sheet. We are, I love to say how sustainable we are because to me, when you think of a charity, you inevitably think that I donate a dollar and 80% goes toward the cause I'm hoping to, to facilitate and 20% goes to administrators or whatever that particular mix is. In Habitat's case, it's actually the opposite. It's a multiplier effect. Every dollar that's donated to Habitat generates $2.83 of economic activity. That's incredible. It's amazing. Why? Because you have volunteer labor building up assets that actually better humans' lives in their homes. Health gets better. The participation in school, graduation, college rates, all of these things go up in a community because you have a home that's now better. Right. The financial mechanisms behind it are absolutely fascinating as well. We don't come in and undercut neighborhoods because we can build, on average, you might have a home, let's say it averages $200,000. We might be able, through all of contributions and labor, essentially have the homeowner step into that property for a mortgage of $100,000 to keep the math simple. However, the property is listed in the neighborhood as being sold at $200,000. So we're not, we're not pulling the neighborhood down. Nobody ever knows, oh, that, that house was a Habitat house. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't destroy the neighborhood. It builds value in the neighborhood across the board. And that's our standard build model. Our neighborhood revitalization program has really become a model across the country. Urban blight because of simple fact that people have you know, populated urban centers and then they move out. You have new homes being built on expanded suburban neighborhoods and the expansion of cities. Phoenix is a classic case. What is it, 50 miles from side to side in Phoenix? I'm sure. Unbelievable. Well, these neighborhoods like the one here at GCU, these were all built in the 50s. These were like original John F. Long neighborhoods. And you got the standard brick home there that has outdated technology. It's not energy efficient. You step in, Habitat is the number one lead builder in Arizona. LEED is an energy efficiency certification mm-hmm. that requires that you, everything you put into a home has to meet certain environmental efficiency standards. So proper insulation, proper window seals, proper door seals, etc. all of those types. Habitat's of number one in Arizona. Number one in Arizona. Well, that's certainly saying something. We got the award this year. Our CEO, uh, Jason Barlow, gave the speech at the annual award ceremony. Why? Because everything we do is, is, is LEED certified. So we, we've done over 1,000 homes. We touch more than 350 families a year now. We'd like to raise that to 1,000 families. I, I'd take it even higher than that, but we'll, we'll stretch the crew to take them to 1,000 families served every year. And I think that's just beginning to scratch the surface of the real need here because of the simple fact that housing has become unaffordable for many, particularly yeah. the working lower class. 
So how did the relationship between GCU and Habitat come to be? Well, I, I was originally approached by Habitat. I was working here at GCU as a professor in College of Business, teaching economics and entrepreneurship and the things I normally do. And I was approached. They were hoping to have a research study done. And then we just started talking. My passion, I owned a construction and facilities management company in Mexico City uh, for 14 years. We built hundreds of millions of dollars worth of projects all throughout Mexico and Latin America. I was intimate with Habitat in other areas and other countries, passionate about property rights and what Habitat represents in bringing home ownership from an international standpoint is the foundation to economic development, in my opinion. So I, I, we just hit it off. I said, oh my God, Habitat needs to be here with GCU. We have something here at GCU called Serve the City. And it's where we, uh, this is before Habitat was in the door, we still have Serve the City. And we, we get 1,000, 2,000 kids that volunteer. We, we have the most robust volunteer group that I've ever seen in my life. These students want to make a change. They want to impact people's lives in a positive way. And they look at groups like Habitat as a channel to make that happen. Well, we were doing these things, and we, as, as, as GCU, we couldn't figure out ways in which to get all these kids volunteering in projects. I said, Habitat can solve that problem. At that time, Habitat was dealing with about 10,000 volunteers a year, clear infrastructure to handle it. GCU needed to help its neighborhood. Perfect marriage. So we invited them to pitch, and the executive team saw the pitch from Habitat, and then it just clicked, and Brian Mueller said, this needs to be part of our core outroll, part of our mission, uh, and our five pillars in the community. And it's just been an awesome model. Yeah, in hindsight, it's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the entrepreneurial spirit lives and has benefits uh, across the community. Yeah, I think that that's incredible. And definitely a case study to be brought to other parts of the city and all over the United States, potentially. So, um, and speaking of other parts of the city. So, what we've launched recently, just in the last few weeks, in fact, I now am chairman of Habitat for Humanity here, and we're putting together several initiatives, but one of the ones that I think is the most fascinating is an expansion of this neighborhood revitalization program. It's been an icon uh, in this west side area. We think that, that can be expanded into the downtown area. There's an area specifically that's received a lot of interesting new development occurring called the Warehouse District. Uh, wonderful companies there. You have WebPT, for example. You have Galvanize there. Several other organizations have moved into that area. Those homes were built back in the 20s and 30s. You still have hundreds of homes. In fact, Habitat has done a, a windshield survey where we drive through the neighborhood and we pick out each home that's there. We can look at the platagreen. We can see who owns what, who's renting. And we can say, well, this house needs roof, this house needs walls, this one needs, this is a teardown, this one, and we can, we can actually measure all that. So we, we, we did that survey. We're now reaching back out to the community to partner with companies like WebPT that's agreed to partner. Republic Services has also agreed to partner. Wells Fargo is helping out. Where, based on those companies that are actually working in the warehouse district, and hopefully, if we're successful, getting those employees through that tax contribution to also contribute. So the companies can seed it to some extent. We've got wonderful support from uh, local foundation and family there, the Cali Foundation. Once, once the employees begin to participate, really in two ways, hopefully contributing money through their tax credit 
And second, by doing team building exercises like you experienced, where you get to go out with a group of people, maybe your business, maybe other businesses, maybe that are partnering with a local school in the neighborhood, like, like a, what is it, La Vista Academy, um, an awesome school that's it's a college prep down there. Granted, they're, they're teaching kindergartners up through sixth grade, but it's all about college. Right. They're trying to break the paradigm. Well, they're right there in the warehouse district, and they've got waiting lists of kids to get into that school. We can partner with them. You can build a home side-by-side with uh, Julia Meyerson, who's down there, who runs that. Incredible organizations. That, that, if we can do that downtown, there's easily 10,000 homes there that really need to be rebuilt. That many? Yeah. 10,000. That this, was really my next question. Was. This will extend essentially from, let's say, fifth, like, uh, maybe 7th Street, maybe a little bit over, get into the airport landing pad. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be living there anyways. Uh, down to I-17, over to the other end of I-17, on the west side, up to Washington. Got it. Well, that's a big area. It is. Uh, the Murphy District down there, GCU is now uh, in, in conversations to provide further academic support and tutoring like we do here with our Learning Lounge. We're reaching out Alhambra High School, uh, Borgade across the street. I think there's, I want to say, 10 or 20 other schools that have signed up for that that, that support now. I don't know to what extent uh, we're able to extend that down into other schools downtown, like the Murphy District. If we can do that, if we can continue the expansion, hopefully GCU can participate in that as well. They don't have to. I, I, I hope that there's a path to help make that happen. As we, we begin to help academically each of these local schools, Habitat can step in as the other partner because it has to be a holistic approach. It can't be, I build you a new home and everything's better. Right. It's, okay, we got a home, but your school sucks. Well, maybe we can improve the school. And maybe there's a way in which health can be included in that. And Habitat doesn't do health, and you know, neither does GCU. But maybe somebody will. You know, we, we're... At Habitat, in fact, we are hopefully partnering with uh, United Healthcare. There's a very long process to get approved as a vendor for them under Medicaid. <laughs> but, but believe it or not, United's got a great program where, through some, to some degree, through Medicaid funding, they have contractors go out and fix homes that are broken. Because what they found is that if people's homes are broken, you know, air conditioning, bad plumbing, old people with without, you know, uh, ramps, proper, exactly ramps, handles, all these things, you get you well, water get, damage and mold. That's not good for your health. Exactly. Go figure. So, so by being able to correct those problems in situ, to go into people's homes and correct them, Habitat is in fact hopefully going to complete that process very shortly and be approved as a vendor to step in and, and help these homes. So that's, I didn't realize there was a program through Medicare that did that. Yeah. Or, or Medicaid. I wish I knew more about it. I Brother. don't. But. Well, that's awesome. That's the easiest way to me to, for me to express <laughs> what I think about that is to say awesome. Yeah. Um, is there a way for you to measure the impact that GCU and Habitat has had in this neighborhood on literacy or school attendance or graduation it's only been a couple of years but well it's getting there uh, certainly the the prototype is is alhambra high school just across the street okay and what we've seen there it was a d school when we started the program it's now up to a b awesome expected to move up to b plus uh, i suspect that that trend will continue to improve now that families see 
better living conditions and, and the, the resources that their children can get by being a part of Alhambra, partnered with GCU, it becomes a destination. And you get a, a virtuous cycle that's occurring where they say, I want my kid to go to Alhambra because I know if he's there, he's likely to get that scholarship and he can go to GCU for free. There's a path. Mm-hmm. And we, we think that that's, that's an example of the improvement. We see it as well. Um, I think in, in other, other schools that we're partnering with, we have a coalition with the Christian School Network across the valley. And some of those schools have been struggling. Uh, poor Brigade across the street, you know, they, they could probably have 700 kids and they've got 450. You know. they, it's tough for them in that, that, that small where they don't get charter school status. It's very difficult for their business models to be sustainable. By partnering with GCU, we now have a, 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 our in, in-house marketing department, believe it or not. We have the big marketing department that actually does the marketing for the university, but we've now created a company that's student employees along with professional leadership that are a, a service that provides marketing for this coalition of schools. Hmm. This is a prototype now, so don't don't tear me in one way or the other how these things work out. I've yet to see results. <laughs> but it's a fascinating opportunity for practical experience from students that are engaged in marketing and social services, etc. Even our College of Theology gets embraced in the whole thing. You know, cross-discipline, of course. And by being able to, to have them work on projects of marketing for these other schools, hopefully there's there's a way in which we can offer them some... Yeah, at least some support. Seems like an awesome idea to me. Great program. I'm going to stop saying awesome. <laughs> Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll keep saying it. Let's keep on making you say it. Yes. <laughs> so you're looking at the warehouse district. Say it's X number of square miles, 10,000 homes. How do Roughly. you... Uh, I'm, I'm, that's my sure. number. Yeah. I'm ballparking that. But in, yeah. in, in very round numbers. So how do you eat an elephant? How do you just start taking small bites? You start approaching... How does, how does that work? So the rollout, um, in that first windshield drive, we identified the 477 homes in this small area called Grant Park District. Okay. And so very specifically, we know where we need to start. And assuming we can get all the pieces together, and it's a long-term process. This is something that will likely last a decade, at least. But the reality is, is because it's very difficult to get all of the parties, the volunteer labor in conjunction with the need of the individual homeowner lined up with the money all at the same time. Mm-hmm. All those moving parts, you, you have to have a planned strategy rollout. Sure. And the homeowner needs to have some flexibility in saying, okay, uh, I realize that I might be waiting for six months for my new windows, uh, but this is a pretty good deal. It makes sense. I'll wait. Otherwise, what am I going to do? Pay the whole price? That's, that's a key part of the rollout. That's why that, that annual contribution and the employee part really becomes that sustainable piece. That's, that's part number one. Part number two, in the reality of that area, it is substantially more poor than this west side area. Okay. Median household income on our west side neighborhood here is about $36,000. Okay. In the warehouse district, it's about eighteen. So they're not going to really be able to pay that one third. Mm-hmm. So we've got to find another way. Okay. Okay. So if we can get corporate sponsors to cover the two thirds, what we're building is a a separate foundation. 
It's we're raising twenty million dollars to seed this foundation. Habitat's I think able to seed it with a substantial sum, and then we need other donors to put that money in. So it operates like a almost like a university foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Where the proceeds from the investments of the foundation go to operate the the. Essentially, we could take their mortgage banking component because Habitat is also a mortgage banker, and we can issue smaller loans. We can service those loans. There's zero interest. Let's say we amortize. It doesn't have to be amortized. It's just pay it back over a five-year period. And we think that just the energy savings alone, by the corrective nature of the reconstruction of these homes, is more than enough to pay for that one-third. Got it. And if I remember, this is all round numbers, and I'm just trying to go back through my, in my mind. In round numbers, it was around $1,000 that the people in the Grand Canyon neighborhood needed to come up with? Yeah, here, a little bit more, roughly about three. So the average project is somewhere between 9000 and 12000 Okay, that's and right. And then they're paying one-third of it, so it's going to be three to $4,000. That's what it was. Okay. Um, and just because the... Just because the household income is lower in the warehouse district does not mean the home value is that much different. So it's still around the same cost. Yeah, possibly. actually we ballparked that to be lower. We're thinking okay. about 9,000 will be the upside of projects there on average. Got it. Yeah, they are smaller homes, that's why. Okay. Smaller footprint, smaller land print, um, fewer windows, smaller roof. Got smaller it. Smaller conditioner. So getting all the pieces lined up and getting everything moving at the same time and you're just the right guy for the job. Hmm. Well, we'll see about that. But nonetheless, I, I get to have a lot of fun. I get to do what I love and work with amazing people. Right. How has the city been? Have you been working with the city on that? There, there's there been some outreach. Um, certainly Mayor Stanton is a huge fan of what's happened uh, here with GCU and with Habitat. Uh, he's personally shared that, and I've heard him say it in multiple forums across the board, not to mention uh, some rather large uh, presentations even here on campus. Um, one of the things that's been kind of interesting, you mentioned it, over the last 20 years or so, it's always been difficult from Habitat's perspective to to work with the city and getting land. So we'll get Peoria and Glendale, their economic development departments or whichever division of their government, they, they say, oh, we've got this lot over here that we're, 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 we're going to bid out for low-income housing or for middle-income housing or, or whatever the purpose might be. Phoenix, ironically, had been through a process of accumulating plots of land. I think there's something like 30,000. Don't quote me one way or the other on that. But 30,000 plots of land that really have just, they're just sitting on the city's balance sheet. Just recently, they've begun to roll those out. I think partly because of, of the impetus saying, and Mayor Stanton in particular, and hopefully the city council, saying, let's, let's, start filling in these gray lots. Let's find ways to get these these plots off the city balance sheet and back into the economy. And housing is needed. So now we're just beginning to see some new land open up from the city perspective. Uh, and, and Habitat can step in and we'll buy the land, hopefully at a discounted price because of the nobility of the cause, so to speak, and the economic development foundation that it represents. But we pay for the land. And then we build beautiful homes on them. Right. That are LEED certified. And people buy those homes and they pay a mortgage on that home. And that adds value. And they're paying taxes on the assessed value of that land, just like the neighbor is. So it, it, it's a good program. And I think hopefully the city will be, um, I'll say, more forthcoming in opening properties up for development. Got it. Are you 
it, it seems to me that, that one of the drivers that makes this sustainable, and it seems to me because you said it, is that that we're able to, we are able to donate um, through our payroll or, or our, our Arizona state tax to this program. Yeah. Is that true in other states? Do you know? I have no idea. I don't know other states that have a similar program or not. Um, I know here it's a useful tool. It seems like it is. Yeah. And it seems like if you were able to, to, to package up what you've done and transport it to other places, it would be successful as well. But who knows? I'd love, love to see that happen. We'll, we'll go one step at a time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Patience. Patience yeah. is, is, is are, are, are you a patient guy? Yes. I think my wife would say, yes, I'm a very patient man. <laughs> so, yes, it depends on the, the, the issue, but yes. Right. Well, and certainly something like this that requires long-term planning and foresight and vision probably does does require a little bit of patience. So, <clears throat> um, so much more to talk about, and we have we have a limited amount of time that that I I, I want to be cognizant of. Um, tell us a little bit about your work with Canyon Angels. So, Canyon Angels is what we call an angel investor group. And angel investing is a category of investing. Sometimes we see it on TV like Shark Tank, but we're not with piles of money on, on the table. We are what we call accredited investors, and this means generally that these are wealthy individuals. There's a technical definition. Basically, you got a million dollars, more or less, outside of your home. And you're interested in investing in startup enterprises that have high potential. So... These can be in any part of the economy. There's almost any style of business. This doesn't necessarily fall into biotech or it's got to be an app or those various categories of types of businesses. Angel groups tend to define what they're interested in. So Canyon Angels is one of really three key angel groups in the state of Arizona. Um, There's also Thunderbird Angels that's kind of coming back to life, we hope, and bringing international flair from... Thunderbird's unique footprint on a global basis. But here, within Desert Angels down in Tucson, they, they are a very robust group run by Curtis Gunn. They've got boy, nearly 100 members, and they're one of the top three investor groups, at least as ranked by the ACA, the Angel Capital Association in the country. Wow. Very active group. That's awesome. Great organization, great leadership. Here also, um, you have, run by Jim Galka, you have Arizona Tech Investors. And they've been around for many years. We all collaborate. So I call Jim and call Curtis, and we've got a deal that they're looking at or that we we looked at, and we send it their way, and we all operate on a common platform. And we all use similar documentation. And that way we can share deal intelligence. What happens, because we're able, and this is a relatively recent phenomenon. I've been doing angel investing for nine years, aside from my own startups. And this did not exist as options nine years ago. What's happened really through these new platforms just in the last several years, along with other interesting things in in the arena of entrepreneurship in the Valley, but this allows us to what we call syndicate deals. Startup needs to raise a million dollars. Well, our little angel group and this one over here and that one over there we might have some money in the bank, but guess what? We're not as individuals cutting a check for a million dollars. So the average angel investment size is about $25,000. Well, it takes a lot of effort for an entrepreneur to go pitch 
do the math. $25,000 into a million dollars is how many pitches does this guy have to give to hit the right one? Lots. Right. The probability that they can find those 200 people, 400 people, whatever the math <clears throat> is, it, it's, it's really low. So the way in which we make Arizona a more attractive place for entrepreneurs to raise money is by making it easier for us to invest. The way we do that is we share information, we syndicate deals, so we might form a special investment entity. We'll have six or seven investors that are interested in investing in a company. The current one we're doing is Naya Energy. So Naya Energy, a great entrepreneur, Ketan Patel, he's, he's been on the board of SeedSpot and he's, he's had multiple exits. He's a brilliant man, brilliant leader. He's in an exciting niche about energy conservation and he's got some brilliant technology plays about ways in which to control when you turn on what machine at what price you're buying the, the, the you know, per kilowatt hour, really great stuff. He's got to raise a lot of money. Yeah. So in that path, he comes to us, he comes to Desert Angels, he comes to ATI. Well, we all share the same vehicle instrument. So one of us, in this case, uh, one group will take the lead. And if our investors want to be a part of it, well, we don't have to do it alone. And maybe we can step in. What we do at Canyon Angels is we actually lower that minimum threshold investment. So we say, you know what? You don't have to cut a check for $25,000. We can actually pool our funds and we can say, you're in for five, you're in for 10, you're in for 10, you're in for five. We pool those monies. We form a separate little entity, LLC, and it's dedicated to nothing but the investment in that company. Now we get a benefit, number one, you get to pool the funds, so you're not in this all alone. You get, you get a single reporting entity up to that investment. Number two is that I get to piggyback on the due diligence that, that the other investors are doing. And here at GCU in particular, at Canyon Angels, we have students lead due diligence teams. They're guided by member mentors, but they're actually calling up the entrepreneur, investigating, doing site visits, checking the technology, downloading the app, whatever it might be. And you'd be shocked what these kids can discover that often an old curmudgeon like me can't figure out. They have great insights. And when we have our pitch events, the entrepreneur comes and gives his presentation, goes on for 15, 20, 30 minutes, question and answer. We escort them out of the room. The student due diligence team gets up and does their report to the investors and they get grilled. What'd you find out about this? Where'd you see that? Did you visit the site? Did you look at the air conditioner? Where's the machine there? We, and these kids have done fantastic jobs. Uh, so then we pull our funds together into these little entities and then we can all invest on similar vehicles. It's also a benefit to the entrepreneur themselves because when these companies are raising money, very often we're at that beginning stage. Right. <clears throat> we're, we're almost lumped together with friends and family and fools. We, we fall into the fool category most of the time. Right. <laughs> and, and yes, we call ourselves angels, but that just makes us feel good. Um, the reality is, is if we can combine our experience and deal structure and, and come together more or less as one entity or on common terms, we don't screw up the ownership structure of the entrepreneur's company. Because if they need to raise money from a venture capital group later, then we don't mess up them. This guy doesn't have 700 owners sitting on his balance sheet. Instead, he's got two, three, four, five. That happens to represent 
multiple other investors. Right. But, and now the benefit from the investor side viewpoint is if I need to build up a portfolio of 20 companies in this asset class, because I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket, I'm going to take my million dollars and I'm going to say, you know what, I think I'd only like to put maybe 5 or 10% into this, this crazy category of angel investing. And so how am I going to get diversification in that basket? Well, if I can put 5,000 into 20 companies, I now get diversification. Mm-hmm. And I only, only expose 5 or 10% of my portfolio. That's, that's the goal. And that certainly makes sense. And again, it's bringing all these parties to the table and having open and frank communication and honest communication. That yeah. seems to be that uh, maybe that's a superpower that you have is the ability to bring parties together. Uh, I wouldn't say anything's a superpower, but it, with the momentum of GCU, starting Canyon Angels was really just a natural outcropping. There, there really hadn't been an outreach some people here are doing wonderful things to expand the investor ecosystem. The reality is you've got about a hundred and I hear 14, 140,000 accredited investors in the Valley. 140,000. Right. This is people that have a million dollars in net worth, excluding their home residents. Wow. Right. Do you know how many participate in angel groups? Less than 10% of that. I bet. <laughs> Just kidding. Less than a couple hundred. Yeah, I mean, really, right. it's, it's a fraction, scratching, not even scratching the surface. Hmm. So, well, if we want to make this an active entrepreneurial ecosystem, we have to be able to offer entrepreneurs access to capital. And part of the way in which that, that is done is through angel investing. And really, it's an exciting asset class. You know, of course, Arizona grew up on real estate, and, and many of those 140,000 have largely made money by building homes and commercial buildings and right. hold real estate and that's that's wonderful that's great there's also a life cycle within an economic development paradigm of a community and phoenix has been expanding beautifully we're now at four and a half million yes we may go to seven million i don't know how that looks but there's other things that we can do to I'll say diversify our sources of wealth within our economy. And this is one asset class that helps make that happen. Got it. Builds companies domestically. Right. Advice that you would give to people who are listening to this and they say, you know what, that's awesome. I think that what it sounds like what Tim and what GCU and Habitat are doing is, is different in helping to grow and build communities. If they're listening, they say, I'd like to be involved with that growth or that work or the future work in the warehouse district. How can people get involved? Um, certainly, if you would like to donate money, if you are a company, a building owner, uh, uh, you have employees, absolutely get involved Habitat. It's a beautiful way. If you have, uh, you are an accredited investor and you'd like to invest in startups, come to Canyon Angels, canyonangels.org website there you can sign in as an investor there's a volunteer hub from the habitat it's habitat um for was it habitat fhf az um that's the website.org i'll put it in the show notes yep thank you um from that you can actually it's right there you can you can uh, sign up there you can donate there to habitat you can pledge monies on a regular basis um 
those are two fantastic ways to get involved. Maybe you want to teach entrepreneurship. Come see me. We need adjuncts. Nice. Maybe you want to be a mentor. Absolutely. You can have that too. Very cool. What advice would you give to an entrepreneur? <laughs> well, we, we use a couple of concepts here that, that I think it helps entrepreneurs to better understand whether or not they have a valid value proposition. And some of those tools, we call the business model canvas, minimum viable product, we, a lot of human-centered design, a lot of kind of buzz terms. But basically what they're trying to say to entrepreneurs out there is you don't need to go raise a million dollars to test your idea. You need to be able to find a way to test your idea and validate the multiple pieces of the hypothesis that you have that people are willing to buy what you are offering. How do you validate that? Because if you haven't gone through that process beforehand, the investors will look at you as you're wasting their time. And most importantly, and worst of all, you will have wasted your own time. You need to learn how to validate those things as quickly as humanly possible. And it often doesn't mean that you have to have a lot of money to do it or burn a lot of money. There's ways to test things that through a minimum viable product, through other mechanisms where you're not wasting your own time, your own money, or others. Nice. Excellent. What else would you like to get off your chest today? What else would you like to share? Boy, uh, come to a basketball game. Come see GCU's campus. Uh, 400 acres of amazing activity. These kids are unbelievable. Whatever people say about millennials, I don't know. doesn't make any sense to me, but I will tell you that I'm absolutely overwhelmed with the generosity the intelligence. Granted, they don't read a whole lot, but, but they are expert YouTube watchers and want to be engaged and challenge, uh, and they want to solve problems more so than any other group I ever remember being a part of. So we got a good thing going on. Hope for the future. Absolutely. Excellent. It's very optimistic. Well, Tim, thank you much for your time. Thank you so much for your time and, sure, and, thank you. and, and all your insights. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show. Uh, tell a friend. Please feel free to share us on social media as well. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.